Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. A couple of weeks back, I spoke on how we want to be a gospel preaching church that is loving, righteous in its lifestyle, involved in world mission, and relating to the unsaved in its own community by both public and personal evangelistic activity. And then last week, Bob introduced the second aspect. And he preached on being a church where regular teaching and preaching of the Bible holds a primary role and where Scripture's authority is final. Now those are values that we would hold in common and at least I would hope so with a large number of churches both in this town and across the nation. But today we turn to a third value. We want to be a church whose people are assured of the grace of God in their lives and are clear about the full new covenant benefits of being in Christ. And in turning our minds to that value, we start to hit on areas where although we might not differ doctrinally from other churches... I would like to hope that we will differ significantly in its application. What I mean by that is historically the message of grace in particular has been extensively preached but in many situations, and I've seen it, it hasn't been applied as liberally as it's been talked about. The full message of the new covenant is taught from the pulpit, but then the congregation is motivated not by grace, but by guilt, by fear, and by condemnation. And that is contrary to scripture. To give you an example, it can slip in so easily. It can slip in, you start motivating people by legalism and by guilt. When you start to say little phrases like the prayer meeting is an important meeting. If you're a committed church member, you must be there. You're putting people under an undue pressure. You're putting people under some fear or condemnation of what it means if they're not there. It comes when there's an expectation on people that isn't based on the free grace of God. Paul, when he wrote to the Galatians, made his position very clear. This is what he said in Galatians 4. Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman, So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Don't submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery. Paul was fully assured 
of his position in Christ. This is what he wrote to the church in Rome. There is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And if we truly manage to understand these truths, one thing is certain, life will never be the same again. And so one of our driving values is to build a church where our members are fully assured of the grace of God in their lives. And they're clear about these new covenant benefits of being in Christ. So what are the consequences of being in Christ? How does God see us now? How have we changed? I don't know whether you've ever thought about it. But our lives can be split into two parts. BC and AD. I don't just mean that on a global timeline level. But if you have put your trust in Christ, then part of your life was before Christ, and the rest of it after. For those of you who are interested, it means in practice, I was born somewhere around 13 BC. But that doesn't mean I'm over 2,000 years old. It's just a recognition that I came to Christ when I was about 13, and so had spent 13 years of my life living it before that change. Now, if we want to look at what BC life was like, we need to look back at history. We need to delve into our murky past, our family history, and look at our forefather, Adam. Because it's only as we see clearly what life was like without Christ that we can start to fully appreciate the impact of God's overwhelming grace in placing us in Christ. Paul saw it clearly. He wrote about it to his friends in Ephesus. He told them, that they had formerly been dead in their sins. You'll find that in Ephesians 2.1. He then goes on to say they were following the values of the world and the devil. That's in verse 2. And that they were, by their very nature, children of wrath. That's in verse 3. Now that isn't a very encouraging place to be. But what it shows us is when we are living outside of Christ, everything about us is set against God. Every aspect of his holiness is equally set against us. And what's more is there's nothing we can do about it. We're both hopeless and helpless. It's what we call in our family a mess. But Paul tells us there's an answer to the mess. But it isn't found in us. It's found in God. It's found in a God who's rich in mercy. 
And that God's grace breaks into our lives with salvation given to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus saves us. However, we can be mistakenly satisfied with the statement Jesus saves without understanding fully what it means and all of its benefits. So who are we in Christ? Firstly, we can see our salvation in terms of how God considers us. Our sin offends a holy God. So our very nature focuses his anger upon us. But because of his love for us, Jesus stepped into our shoes and became the object of God's wrath in our place. We see this when Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane volunteers to drain that cup fully, as he puts it. He's taking on the full measure of his Father's judgment. Our sins were placed on him. God's punishment was on him. But it doesn't stop there. Because God acts graciously in our souls, creating within us faith in Jesus. And then God goes on and he declares over each and every one of us for all the creation to hear righteous. In that moment when we believe Jesus' very own righteousness becomes ours. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're justified by faith. We now have peace with God. Standing always in his grace. With rights of access to the very throne room that no one can take away. In Romans 5, Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But salvation isn't just external. It's not just something that happens to us in that way. I mean, it's wonderful to know that our sins will never be counted against us. That God declares us righteous, right with himself. And not only our sins past, but Christ has died for every sin we have yet to commit. But that's not the end of the story. Because something also needs to happen in our hard, dead, sinful hearts. And it has. We've been changed. 
The Bible talks about it. It calls it being born of the Spirit. In John 3, he also calls it being born again. Or being a new creation. In 2 Corinthians we read, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's the truth. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. What's gone? My old, stony, hardened, wicked heart. What's come? A new heart. One that's open towards God. The language is the same as in that first creation. The God who spoke light into being now releases his living word to do another work of creation. Making new hearts for us. Ones that will be fit for a new heaven and a new earth. The prophets in the Old Testament saw this. Jeremiah and Ezekiel anticipated this new covenant. One that brought back that heart-to-heart fellowship between man and God. And that it would be fulfilled in Jesus. This is what Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 31. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbour and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Ezekiel wrote this. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. The old has gone. The new has come. Sometimes... Even though we know that truth, even though we believe it, we struggle to grasp what's really happened with us. And we might even get confused about who we are as Christians. We might ask questions like, well, I know I'm forgiven, but am I still a sinner? Am I still subject to the passions and desires that have previously plagued my life? The Bible's very clear on the issue. It says, if we've died to sin, how can we still live in it? Look at what Paul writes in Romans 6, in verses 1 to 2. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can he who died to sin still live in it? And then in verses 6 to 7, 
we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that it would no longer so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin and then in verse 14 he writes for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace and in verse 18 and having been set free from sin you have become slaves of righteousness Paul repeatedly declared our freedom through our own death our faith in Jesus Christ then unites us with him in his death and in his resurrection all his achievements on the cross all of that victory then becomes ours even victory over sin we're now under his kingdom rule we live in his domain and it's because of that that Paul said I have died to sin he was saying sin will not be my master I have been set free from it but the challenge is we don't always feel free temptation continues to shout in our ears it demands our loyalty and the challenge is that in the past we had no option but to be loyal to our sin because it mastered us we were its slaves however now we've been freed from it how do we respond to its lure our solution is not in doing anything as much as it is about appreciating what has already been done Paul tells us firstly to know what has happened our old sin was crucified with Christ that's Romans 6 3 then he says to consider ourselves dead to sin that's 6.11 then thirdly we mustn't let sin reign in our mortal bodies that's verse 12 because it's our bodies that are the battleground our hearts are new and alive but our body's still decaying because that old body this old body is just where our living soul is temporarily housed we can now tell sin to go and take a jump it doesn't have any right any longer to play on our heartstrings the battle with temptation isn't about tempting to separate our sinfulness and then take some form of spiritual medicine to stop the infection spreading victory is found in knowing the truth that our old self has died 
And because of that, our whole disposition has changed. It's been transformed. We have a new heart. We are united with Christ. We are under the reign of his grace and we have been born again. Sadly, sometimes we can misunderstand what Paul says in Romans 7. Because he refers to being sold into bondage of sin in verse 14. And then in verses 24 and 25, he concludes, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Mistakenly, we can look at it and think, But that atmosphere of defeat is a snapshot of Paul's life. But that's far from the truth. Paul repeatedly says, we are free from being under sin, but we are without condemnation. So the debate here in Romans 7 is nothing to do with the normal life of a Christian. His discussion is related to the inability of the law to transform us. I want to say, praise God, but the law can't change us. But Jesus can. And there's one final outcome of our salvation that we can enjoy. In fact, that we're encouraged to enjoy. It's life in the Spirit. Because God, having delivered us from sin, then gave us a new life in his Son. And he freely pours his love into our hearts through the action of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 5 we read, And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and has been given to us. The Spirit dwells in us. It draws us into a new way of living. And then he starts to cultivate fruit in us and empowers us to walk in the freedom that's been won for us on the cross. These new covenant benefits aren't just personal. They're also corporate. Because at the same time, we've been adopted into God's family. And that means we have brothers and we have sisters. At the same time, we are partners together with Christ in his mission. We're brought into the beloved of God for all time. We become part of the bride of Christ. But we shouldn't just be enjoying this favour and grace of God on our own lives. We need to be sharing it with others. Because we need to be becoming a redeemed people for God. Amongst the nations. But how should we respond to this amazing truth of the gospel? What will we do with this freedom? 
Paul puts this question in Romans 6.1. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? The crazy thing is that we could. The gospel of grace is such that we could go back into our sinful lives with no loss of our salvation. It's ridiculous, of course, that we should want to, but we are free to choose. But together with Paul, I would suggest a better idea. In fact, it's the only obvious thing to do. It's the logical conclusion. How do we respond to the gospel of grace, to the salvation that we have in Christ? This is what Paul writes. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's it. Worship. But if that response doesn't ring true to you in your spirit, then do you know what Jesus would say to you today? You must be born again. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 